Not, there are not very many dump visitors here. When I was a kid, it was kind of a place of adventure. Um, it was, it, to me, thank you, it to me was just a, this really interesting, fun place. It's smelly, but there was all kinds of cool, discarded stuff around. People threw really good stuff around. It, it, you know, as an eight-year-old, things that aren't good to your dad can look awesome to you. I never could get my dad to let me bring anything home, though. I would find stuff at the dump, and I would take it to him like, look at this precious thing that I have found. And my dad would say, that's not going home with us. Throw it back in the dump. Oh, but dad. No, throw it back. We're not taking anything else home. Really? Time and again, I would go to the dump on the hope that I would be able to bring some prize home. I don't know if any of you are as weird as I was as a little kid, but it seemed like such a place of treasure to me. Today, it's an oddly biblical place of taxation. Anyone else have the frustration of driving to the dump, not sure how much it's going to cost you for what you have in the back of your car? The the pickup load last week was 12 bucks. This week's it's 20 and no one explains why. I think it's just completely arbitrary. I think the person there, if they're feeling a little grumpy or if they like your smile or the color of your car, can lower the price if they want. And I think if they don't like the way you look or the price the way your car looks, they can raise the prices they want. It doesn't they're not explaining to me except when I have a mattress why it's more expensive. It'll be like $25 for the truckload and 12 bucks for the mattress. What are they doing with that mattress? It is that kind of randomness that makes us wonder whether we're being cheated, right? In the first century, that's the way you paid your taxes. We have giant amounts or massive amounts of forms to fill out where we add, put numbers in, take things out, read through instructions, put things in, take things out, read through instructions, put things in. When I've been filing my own taxes my whole life, because you take it to someone else, they come figure it out, supposedly, tell you what your taxes are, and you have no input into how that happened. That doesn't seem right to me. I want to know why the government wants my money. And I want to know how much. And so to have somebody else arbitrarily... I think that if I took my taxes to four different tax preparers, they would come up with four different numbers. I should try that sometime. Anyone who want to loan me the money to go to four different tax preparers to test this theory? In the first century, when you rolled up on the tax booth, it was that kind of an arbitrary thing. Now, the Romans, by the first century, had outlawed selling the responsibility of tax collection. Prior to this, you bought that opportunity. It was it was like your little franchise you bought from the Roman government in order to be the tax guy. Think about that. You paid to be the tax guy. The reason you did was because you had opportunity, like the guy at the dump, to set whatever price you wanted on the taxes for the day. Romans required that you would return to them a certain amount. And if you got caught gouging too much, they would get mad at you. But if you could get away with it, you could charge whatever you thought was appropriate. Romans get their cut, and you keep yours. 
On top of that, the Romans usually used local citizens as tax collectors. They didn't want to cause the angst of having an actual Roman collect the taxes. So guys like Matthew Levi had little tax booths that you would have to go to. Matthew's is in Capernaum. Capernaum (coughs) is on the Sea of Galilee. So if you think of the Sea of Galilee as basically kind of oval, it has a flat spot on the northwest side, okay? At that flat spot where it kind of the oval goes flat like you whacked an egg and flattened out one side, at that flat spot is where Capernaum sits. The importance of this as a place for taxes is that it was a place particularly for for taxing people who were bringing goods and services through there. It was under the reign of a certain king named one of the Herods, Herod Antipas, but it was at the crossroads of three highway intersections. The way of the sea could come inland before you got to the Sea of Galilee and then go up along the Sea of Galilee. The way of the sea could come in at Nazareth and come out at Magdala just south of Capernaum and then have to go past Capernaum. And the way of the, of the, of the desert or the, the, the king's highway, which went along the Jordan River, anyone on the west side of the Jordan would have to go right by there. So it was a very important place if you were taking anything even as far away as from Egypt over to Babylon or over to Assyria. Anything that went through had to go through that spot. And so imagine our guy Matthew sitting in his tax booth that morning doing his regular responsibility. A a group of people come by and they have camels laden with something and he looks at it and like the guy at the dump says, what will I charge them today? I don't know anybody in this group. Let's raise the price. And that simply was was the way it was done. And standing with him there, unless you would, would perchance say, I'm not paying were a couple of Roman guards with glinting sharp, glinting sharp swords and spears. You really had no choice. Any more than you have a choice now. I mean, there's nobody with a spear, but who wants to be crosswise of the IRS? And so Matthew, the famed writer of our book, who has been trying in these first several chapters to help us raise our understanding of who Jesus is, on this particular day shows his hand. And when we get to Matthew chapter 9, here we are at verse 6, we have this moment when Matthew shows his hand. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you open it to Matthew chapter 9? And if you don't, or your device or whatever else you're going to have, you can open it to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 6, and we're going to keep it pretty much just... I'm sorry, verse 9, and we're going to keep it pretty much just here for the next few minutes. Jesus went out, went on from there. He had just been in Peter's house. He had just healed the paralytic, and he went on from there. So he's still in Capernaum. And he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Now, this guy's been hanging around town for a while. He's seen this Jesus guy coming and going. He may have been present at the at the the Sermon on the Mount, he records it very well. So he may have have been present when that was actually happening. Jesus goes in and out of Capernaum all the time. He's gathering a few people with him. He's got Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, their brothers. And they're beginning to, to, uh, to follow Jesus around a little bit. There's a few other disciples. The, 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 the crew is probably two-thirds of the way full at this point when Matthew is sitting there in his tax booth. 
And as Peter, James, John, and Andrew go by, this is, by the way, their tax collector. If they have to go to take anything north for sale, they have to pay this guy. They go by the tax booth. He sees him sitting there and he says, follow me. Now stop right there for a moment in your mind. Peter, Andrew, James, John. Are these a group of wilting violets? Are these the sort of guys who went, oh, he shouldn't do that. Do you think this just went by unnoticed by those four gentlemen? This is their tax guy. And Jesus wants the tax guy to join the band. Do you think they just went, oh, sure, this is a great idea, Jesus. Let's get a publican. We don't have one of those. And while we're at it, let's go back and get the demon-possessed guy we left on the other side of the lake. Do you think they just let this all go? You really want to join a publican to our group? You realize he's a traitor to the cause, right? You realize he's basically a Roman, and we would all just punch him in the mouth when he asked for his taxes, except for those two guys standing next to him with swords. Yep, I want Matthew. He's coming with us. Follow me. Now, in spite of what is half, at least has to be murmuring, and maybe outright disdain, and certainly some disgusted looks, Matthew says, sure, I'll join you and those guys. Sure, I'll go. Follow me. He gets up from his tax booth and walks away. It's the last we hear of the tax booth. We don't know who took his place. We don't know if the, the, two, the two guys, the two soldiers standing there started collecting the taxes. Did they have a partner? Was there, was there uh, tax guy A and tax guy B? Was, was there an assistant that just got a promotion? We don't know. Matthew says, no more of that. No more of that life. No more of that thing. I'm moving on with Jesus. And that's it. Just that, that's the end of this discussion. Let me ask you, if Jesus walked into your job this week and said, follow me, would you get up from your job and go with him? Now, that's an unfair thought because you're all like, if Jesus came, sure. If you weren't sure it was him. If as far as you knew, it was kind of a, a really cool preacher that may have some messianic opportunity. He's done some amazing things. Would you go? He's just upset the entire religious apple cart. He's healed a centurion's servant. He's touched a leper. He's, he's been across the sea healing demons. He's just forgiven the sins of a guy on a mat. Would you go with that guy? If he showed up at your office this week, if he showed up at your house, if he showed up at your place, would you go? Would you say, leaving all this going with you? Would you do it? Be disruptive, wouldn't it? Be a mess. What would your life be like? There's no assurances with this guy. Remember foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nada. I don't have a place to lay my head. So come with me. Great adventure, camping trip. There used to be a uh, an advertisement. Advertisements stick with me. I don't know if they stick with you. There used to be an advertisement for the Peace Corps. 
Actually, it was a whole series of advertisements. The one that I was, I was kind of reviewing this this week to try to make sure I understood it, remembered it correctly. And they show this woman. She's a retirement age looking. She says in the video she was, she retired from teaching. And you see her out in some sort of a, uh, I don't know, kind of a jungly looking place. Bunch of little kids around. And she seems to be having a good time. And she begins to speak. And she says, I've just retired from teaching. But I decided that I wasn't going to actually quit teaching. That's why I'm here, and I think she was in Central America. I don't remember exactly where. My friends are all back home. And then they flash to her friends, and there are three ladies with an empty chair sitting around a table. And they're just enjoying their retirement back home. But I decided that I wasn't done giving yet, and so here I am. And then you kind of get a picture of the kids, and you start to realize what's going on. I decided to teach here, and again, I wish I could remember the name, of the, the name of the country. And her friends, you flash back to her friends, and you see that they're actually playing cards. Still an empty chair. And they come back to her, and all the kids come rushing up to her. Like, you know, like little kids when they gather around their teacher. And they just, they're just having a great time. They're so glad she's there. And it flashes back to her friends. And she says, I figure I have lots of time left to play cards. And then the last thing is the Peace Corps. The hardest job you'll ever love. That's what this makes me think of. Follow Jesus. Hardest job you'll ever love. Life is going to be different for you. Things will change. And those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, no, things have changed. Some things in your life are different than what they used to be. Some are amazingly better. In fact, I would bet if you counted all the things that it cost and you counted all the blessings that you had, you would say the blessings far outweigh the difficulties. But there were some things, right? There were some costs. Jesus says about following Him, take up your cross and follow Me. It's, it's a reality check for all of us that this business of following Jesus always interacts with what we wanted to do. It always interacts with what we were hoping to accomplish today, what we were hoping to do. And Jesus takes us off in directions we may not even be comfortable with. Funny thing about Jesus. The call is an everyday thing. It's an everyday question. Will you follow me today? Come, follow me. Come on, just you can do it just while you're awake. I won't ask you to be following me while you're asleep, though I might interrupt that a little. I really just, come on, follow me for the next 16 hours. Are you in for 16 more hours? Every morning, wake up. Hey, will you follow me today? How about, how, how about just today? Uh, don't worry about tomorrow yet. Yesterday's done. You kind of messed that one up. But today, what can you do today? And he takes you on again. And we get up from our, our 21st century tax booth And we say, all right, I'm in. I'll go. It's why we start our days with prayer and Bible study. (laughs) Because it helps get the compass right and get the answer to that question right. It helps us when we're there to be more responsive when he says, come on, come on, follow me. Come on, come on. Matthew gets up from his tax booth and follows him. And I love the, the, the thought in my mind of the integration of Matthew into this group. He's probably dressed a lot nicer than they are. And he kind of starts to meld in with the fishermen and the blue-collar ruffians that have kind of gathered around Jesus. 
And they, as he comes into the group, it feels to me like, you know, new kid in school, third grade, and he didn't wear the right clothes for your school. He shows up. I don't know if you're third grade. Mine was a tough place to go. I changed schools in third grade. It's probably why it always reminds me of third grade when I think about these things. And you come in as a new kid in that group, and they're like, oh, whoa, oh, those aren't the right wheel. We don't wear those shoes here. Oh, oh. There's always these weird things that kids pick out to decide who's in and who's out. This guy comes in, and he doesn't really fit in, and they don't really want him to fit in, and he's a publican. you got to spit the word out a little bit. He's a publican. He's going he's gonna to cause everybody we know to think less of us for hanging around with him. And Jesus says, yep. He's joining the band. Get used to it. And Peter, James, John, and Andrew are like, you didn't talk about this when you, you said fishers of men, not friends of publicans. Well, that was not in the contract. I read the contract. Nope. He's coming with us. And so they make their way. They start to meander down the road. But I, I want you to think about what this day was, was like for the tax man. What happened to him that day? He's been working for Herod Antipas. This is a pretty prestigious job. Herod is in control of all of this region. If you're going to make your way up a political ladder, even a sociological ladder, this is a really good guy to have in your corner. And he is—he has a, a good standing as a tax collector, a guy who's, who's been able to, to, to work to the point where he's in Capernaum, this major crossroads place where he's trusted with the tariffs and taxes for that road where those three major opportunities, three major roads come and create an opportunity. Being given that post, this guy's in a pretty good stand with the government. Secondly, customs tax agent. Remember, he's, he's catching these guys as they come through. It's hard to go around. The geography makes it difficult to miss him. You ever think about it when, the car, when trucks are going by the scale? You have this scale there and you think... If you knew the scale was open and you were overweight, wouldn't you just go off and go around somewhere? Well, they put him in places where it's difficult to get off. That's what happened here. There's a major intersection. There's a lake to your right if you're going north. There are mountains to your left. If you've just come down through the Nazareth, through the pass from Nazareth, you've come right to this road. And if you're going north, you've got to go right through, right past Capernaum. In front of you, you actually have to go up and over a hill. So it's, you're going to be seen if you're pulling a big caravan. Be, behind you is where you don't want to be. You just left there and there's more lake and more mountains. It's just a, a tight little spot. You're stuck. There's not much you can do about it. So here he is, stopping people arbitrarily to a degree, raising himself some funds. And then this is his reputation. Traitor, outcast, thief. That's who the tax man is. You're thinking better of your tax man now. Maybe. I want to review what Matthew lost and what he gained. He lost a good government job. You know, a good government job is a good job, right? Retirement's good. You do your time. You settle in. Pretty much don't fire a lot of people. You're good. Good government job. But he found purpose. Would you trade your job for purpose? 
Do you have purpose in your job? Have you found a job that has purpose and meaning? Would you trade it? Is your job just about getting enough money to buy toast? Is your job about making an impact on something, somewhere, somehow? When, uh, when famously Apple Computers was looking for a new CEO, Jobs went looking across the nation for the best people he could find. He found the head of Coca-Cola. And here was his presentation. He said, hey, we'd like you to come to Apple. We'd like you to come join our computer company. We make things that are changing the world. Or you could stay here and make sweet water. Pretty intense moment, huh? How's the purpose of your life right now? He was finding purpose, meaning, and a new destiny, a new direction for his life. Number two, he lost security and comfort. Don't you think? Good job, good pay, security and comfort, nice house. Pays off his mortgage, everything's going well for him. He lost security and comfort. He found adventure. Do you think going with Jesus would be an adventure? Do you think going with Jesus is an adventure? Have you ever thought of it as such? That that the life with Jesus is an adventure? That the call of Jesus is an adventure? Let me talk to you if you're like uh, under 20 for a minute. It is very tempting to see the call of Christ on your life and the direction your parents are helping, trying to give you and that Pastor Tim's trying to give you and your school's trying to give you and whoever else is trying to direct you toward Jesus, it's very easy to see this as only a limiting factor on your future. You look at it and you think, oh man, that whole following Jesus thing is going to put me in a box and I'm not going to be able to do stuff I want to do. It's going to just mess with my life. I was 17 years old when I became a believer, when I was baptized as a believer, I'd actually kind of become one before that. Life has never been more adventurous than when I am saying yes to Jesus. Are there things that I don't do? Yep. But I choose those things. And I walk in that, that wild adventurous thing he has out and set in front of me. Ask somebody who's been doing it for 30 or 40 years. If you can't talk to your mom and dad about it, ask somebody else. There are a bunch of them right around you right now. Pick one. <coughs> they will tell you there are days when it's tough, when you want to do the wrong thing for all the wrong reasons, and you just want to say no to Jesus. But they will also tell you, saying yes is the right answer. Now, we're seeing the record of this day in Matthew's life about 20, maybe 25 years after it happened. He is still looking back on that day and realizing what a powerful, cool moment it was. I was sitting there in my tax booth, minding my own business, and along came Jesus and the sons of thunder and Big Mouth and his little brother. And he said, follow me. And I don't even know why for sure, but I got up and I went. And I saw and I experienced and I touched and I was involved with 
the most amazing things. The most amazing things. Last, he lost a great income. He did. He lost a great income. But he found honor and restoration. His is a dishonorable trade. The only way to really have a great income there was to be kind of shady with it. It was a dishonorable reputation that came with it. People didn't even want him to come to their homes. People didn't want him, other people to know they actually knew him. But now with Jesus, he found honor again and restoration. So Matthew left the tax booth behind. He just got up and walked away, went to his house, threw a party for Jesus. He just left the tax booth behind. But Matthew took his pen. And the book we have that opens the Gospels has this man's mark on it. The book that you read, that you open and you read, and you see the hand of this man, Matthew, a Levite. Matthew means a gift from God. A Levite. Matthew, Levite. As he begins to open the the story of Jesus, he starts to unfold it and show how it aligns with the Old Testament. And unfold it and show how it aligns with the Old Testament. And when Jesus' radical new teaching needs to be presented, this guy who's anchored deep in Hebrew thinking and Jewish thought, Jewish presentation, is the one who's the leading voice saying, this wild guy set off an amazing transformative wave of difference. And he did this different, he did that different, he did the other thing different. And you know, that pen, that pen from the tax booth, where you have to learn how to understand languages and you have to know how to write well and clearly, that pen came with it. When it came time to set down the biography of Jesus, it was the tax collector out there in the front, getting it written up, getting the story down, getting the facts on the paper. And the blessing of that answer that day is still here in our hands. And the ripple of that decision to follow Jesus is still going across our world today, making a a kingdom difference making an eternal difference in lives of people he couldn't possibly have imagined would exist. And so where are we? When you wake up in the morning and Jesus says, will you follow me for today? You just never know where the ripples of that day will meet the shore. When you wake up in the morning and you try to decide, is this the day I keep or is this the day I walk away from Jesus? Choosing to follow Jesus has an eternal consequence in you, And in those you touch. Choosing to follow Jesus is the only way to have real purpose at the end of the day. To make an eternal kingdom difference. And it probably won't be a pen for all of us. 
It might be a computer screen. It might be a hammer. It might be a scalpel. It may just be the voice in the mind. But what you take with you, the person you are, and the thing God created when he created you, will be at his use, in his hand, for the sake of eternity. Let's pray. Father God, sounds like a pretty simple thing. He got up, left the tax booth, and followed you. But every one of us knows how tough it can be. Help us make it through that decision. Help us to say yes to you again. Help us to say yes to you the first time. But help us to say yes to you. Pray for the infilling of your Holy Spirit. Help us to let the eternal consequence or kingdom matters be your worry. In your name we pray. Amen.